V-Gates, dig this listeners. Here is a Teutonic twofer from the archives. Moondog and Nico. Here's part one. Moondog. Be a hobo and go with me From Hoboken to the sea Be a hobo and go with me and go with me and from the sea and to the sea and go with me and go with me Gang, once again, your pals with you, the splendid Bohemians, Bill Mesnick, aka Gwimesnikov, aka the Mighty Mez. Hi, everybody. There he is, the Mez in his California location, and uh, with new technology sounding uh, much more like he's right with me in the room here in Florida. And this is Rich Buckland reporting for the Dig This Splendid Bohemians podcast. And today we're going to uh, we're going to take an encounter which which could lead us down the uh, the proverbial heart of darkness, uh, but within that heart of darkness, there's always enlightenment and uh, some enchanting uh, uh, revelations to be had. And we're going to visit with two individuals who, uh, one of whom I think you'll be quite familiar with, and the other maybe not so familiar with. So this is kind of what, what did you think, Bill? This is going to be a Teutonic twofer? This is a Teutonic twofer, yes. Teutonic twofer. So let's we're handling, we're, who are we handling? Well, we're going to be handling, we're going to begin the program with a gentleman that, uh, that made his face in New York, not necessarily his name, because he was a street person known uh, as Moondog. He went by the name Moondog, dressed in Viking garb and stood imposingly, often on the corner of 53rd Street and 6th Avenue in New York City. The Viking of 6th Avenue. The Viking of 6th Avenue, the name also of a documentary that has been attempted to be made regarding him now for, I believe, the last three, four years and uh, is in production currently. And a gentleman whose life story... Uh, wanted to be made by Jeff Bridges, the great Jeff Bridges. And uh, it's difficult to get financing for that, no matter how often he seemed to float the idea. But I can't imagine why, since it's a fascinating life. It is a fascinating life. It's a, it's, it's a genuinely fascinating life. Gentleman born Lewis Thomas Harden in the year 1916. And this is about as close to the blind street poet musician uh, come to life the the fantasy take any fantasy that 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 image conjures and you have moondog you have a story of the most uncompromising artistic life possible 
Well, this is a gentleman who seemed to know exactly what he was placed on earth for. And, of, of course, people being people, he would be seen on the street in this Viking garb, and few knew underneath it he had this braille encoder. He was constantly writing music in braille, always thinking in terms of music, the sounds of the streets, people's voices. I had the... Uh, I had the privilege of being able to speak to him on a couple of occasions. And what, what, what were those encounters like? He's a, he was a very, very soft-spoken, very determined individual who seemed to be able to take each encounter and separate everyone who approached him with an individualistic view. But this was indeed who Moondog was. He was... He was the king of the individualists, as you say, uncompromising, with a music that has not been heralded, but has made its impacts within our society. So, Absolutely. I mean, he was, uh, he influenced Philip Glass and, um, you know, countless others, but um, he was a... Uh, he was a classical musician. started identifying with his Nordic uh, roots and taking on the uh, Moondog persona and the Viking outfits and the, the um, inventing his own instruments and like you say composing in Braille and then he had he had a coterie of succession of women that would um, that idolized him and, and uh, would translate the Braille into sheet music it's good to be the king. Well, of his own universe, he certainly was. Well, it, it seems as if in 1949 he went to a uh, an, an affair in Idaho called the Blackfoot Sundance, and he he would he play percussion and, and flute, um, and it's something about Native American music. Uh, that that really seemed to touch him and and created the evolution in his work. Um, that along with, of course, jazz and, and classical and these sounds, the street sounds, uh, city traffic and uh, 
the sounds of people talking and uh, children crying. Uh, that was that was the architecture. That was yes, yeah, so and like you say, um, with the Blackfoot Indians and the inspiration of the uh, the drumming that he he invented the trimba, which was this his own musical uh, percussion instrument, and he called it snake time. And uh, it, it was a, it was uh, his own individualized rhythms. And um, he said, I'm not going to die in 4-4 four, four time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, this was a man who, well, can you tell us a little more about other instruments that he's responsible for? Because when we first began conversing, about doing a Moondog program, you were quite taken with his desire to create his own instruments. Yes. Um, well, he invented several musical instruments. Um, besides the um, trimba, which was a percussion instrument, which he invented in the late 40s, he uh, invented a small triangular-shaped harp known as the U, another which he named the Uyatsu, a triangular, he seemed to think, have this thing on triangles, a triangular stringed instrument played with a bow, called the, which he called the hoose, uh, after the Norwegian hoose, meaning house. So these are some of the, the ones that he's most famous for, the trimba being the, the most, which is still being played today by um, Stefan Lakatos, a Swedish percussionist. Mm -hmm. And he was completely self-taught, although he did have um, he did have some training in high school. He, he played uh, percussion for a high school band when he lived in, in Missouri, although he was born in, I believe, Marysville, Kansas. Correct, yes. And at one point, his father took him to a Arapaho Sundance, um, where it says here he sat on the lap of Chief Yellow Calf and played a tom-tom. Chief Yellow Calf. Mm. So his inspiration, Native American inspiration, was dramatic, uh, you know, tr truly dramatic. Um, but another a major influence, I'd say, was Bach. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a keyboardist, and uh, he was very interested in counterpoint. And this comes into play quite a bit later on during the the German period. Yeah, we will, because Moondog allegedly was active, uh, meaning performing in some capacity between 1932 and 1999, the latter years in Germany. But right, and when he was in German uh, in Germany. Uh, there was a young woman named Ilona uh, uh, Summer, who once again the 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 final in a long succession of of different uh, female acolytes. Uh, and he was she set him up in a living situation and translated all of his uh, hundreds of compositions from Braille to sheet music. And so that last section of his life, was um, quite prolific in Germany where he died 
and uh, there is a shrine to him. Yes, there is. Yes, there there is a shrine. We would also be remiss if we did not notate that his his sight was lost in what is called a farming accident. Uh, but there's not much more known uh, regarding that particular accident because mm. his, his sightlessness is a is a major part of 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 his genius in that as the the sightless geniuses as Ray Charles as Stevie Wonder uh, uh, even to a certain degree Al Hibbler um, these are these are men who I do not think would have reached the potential of their craft had they been blessed with the continued capacity to see. Well, imagine being sightless and spending all that time on the street. So, yeah, if, you're, if your senses are being heightened, your other senses are being heightened by the deprivation of sight, imagine the uh, impact of the uh, the ambient street sounds on this on this musical genius, and he was doing the New York. He became the New York figure, uh, starting in the late 1940s, um, and I believe remained until around 71, 72. Uh, yeah, yeah, 30 years of uh, being on on the street and. That's when you and I probably encountered him was, you know, 69, 70, 71, around there, right? Yeah, that was, that was, that was definitely the period, about 68, 69. And by the way, he wasn't homeless. Um, he, it's interesting, he had a, a, a plot. He managed to get a little bit of money here and there. And um, when he would be commissioned or he would do something that he would, that actually get a little bit of money. And he was... Um, he had a country retreat in Candor, New York, um, in which he kind of built himself uh, also a, a Nordic shrine, and um, he maintained an altar to Thorin in his country home in, in Candor, and uh, he ba basically built it himself. He had an apartment as, as well, but if you go back to the ability to live in New York, say on the Lower East Side, during that particular period of time, you could have an apartment for seventy dollars, sixty dollars a month. Yeah. But yet, yeah, yeah. the persona that is still sold regarding his his the the imagery of of Moondog is the homeless street musician. Well, it was. A, I think it was a single room, and it was very cold, and you know. Uh, oh, I'm sure he wasn't. Yeah, it, yeah. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't waiting for the cable to get turned on. Yeah. He was selling. He was selling little uh, handmade uh, poetry books, you know, on the street, and uh, he would make, and they would make records. He would self-produce records, and he made you know a little bit of money here and there. But one of his records had a major, major influence and resulted in a monumental court case. And this is a fascinating, this is a fascinating tie-in, once again indicating that Mr. Hardin had a great sense of his, uh, of his station in the world and his potential legacy. 
So where you are referring to the 1954 Supreme Court case that he won against the legendary disc jockey Alan Freed. This was a fascinating, fascinating thing, which I did not know anything about until we started researching this. And uh, the ramifications of this are enormous because Freed called himself the Moondog. He used um, he used the Moondog's record, the Moondog Symphony complete with Howell, and he would start his radio show, and if it hadn't been for that identification and that signature sound, we might never have heard of Alan Freed. It was it was that kinetic, the reaction, which then uh, made him a star, brought him to New York, and then when this case happened, well, he had to, uh, he had to not use Moondog anymore. And he shifted to the term rock and roll. But Free didn't have much of a of a choice. I mean, Moondog was supported by musicians such as Benny Goodman and Arturo Toscanini. Uh, yeah, so he was, a, like I said, he was a mascot in the classical world. Yeah, yeah, but to be hailed by Benny Goodman, who had already strategized what was called swing, which was a, probably the earliest fascination with a musical trend uh, that we can see in popular culture, especially with, with Goodman's 1939 Carnegie Hall concert that that was that was the rock and roll of its day sure so this support from from such credible artists uh, who testified that he was a serious cat and uh, yeah Freed had to had to apologize I mean until until um, Freed because Freed was using the term rhythm and blues then the he called his fans Moondoggers, but um, it was after he had to um, stop using the term Moondog that he, he he coined the phrase rock and roll. So, so you don't think that rock that rock and roll would have been uh, utilized as the as the coin phrase had this not occurred? I, that's that's what I think this is pointing to. Mm-hmm. But the term rock and roll had been used in in various. Well, that's that's another story for another time. But we we who follow the culture, we have been taught that Alan Freed invented and coined the phrase rock and roll, which is not a truth. But. Um, he certainly popularized it. Well, um, it, uh, I'm quoting from this book here, Moondog, the Viking of Sixth Avenue. It said, it must have been an enormous thrill for Moondog, his family, and his friends to tune in WINS on the evening of November 24th and hear the king announce to his subjects that they must dance under a new rubric, rock and roll, ascended from the asses of the lost civil action. Freed went on to ever more hubristic triumphs before fading from fame and dying in obscurity and disgrace. 
Um, so it's interesting. It's it's a kind of a turn of the wheel. And Moondog would he was relentless. He did not back off. And it must have been <laughs> Freed must have been just appalled by the fact that this homeless weird guy wouldn't go away. He was picketing uh, <laughs> outside of the courthouse, and the, the 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 placards that he was carrying said, WINS unfair, this radio station employs a disc jockey who plays my record, Moondog Symphony, and calls himself Moondog. I am Moondog. I sue Freed for 100000 for slander of title. His Majesty, the King of Prune Froggers, has suddenly stopped playing my record, which he has used as a theme without my okay for three years. And I imagine that that sent, uh, in 1954, that must have sent some shockwaves through tiny AM radio station uh, where these people are trying to uh, to make a living. Right. Uh, so uh, talk about a David and Goliath situation. And uh, and David just, just n- knocks that giant right down. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now... Moondog was passionate about Nordic culture, and he had an idealization uh, regarding Germany, which leads to another to another topic, uh, which is our kind of uh, glue between the this artist and the other artist. We haven't even mentioned the other artist yet. No, we we're should. gonna we're gonna we're going to sneak her in. Very, you're gonna save. You're gonna save that. Uh, that announcement until a little later. Now we're gonna we're just just for just for a little bit later. We'll see if uh, we'll 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 see if some of you can guess who we are leading to and alluding to. If you're well, thinking, like I say, this is a Teutonic twofer. It's a Teutonic and, twofer. Um, uh, something that um, both Moondog is said to share with this this uh, woman is um, <laughs> anti-Semitism. Yes. <laughs> Although in the case of our special guest, uh, who will be mentioned very shortly, uh, Moondog kind of retracted his anti-Semitism, did he not? Yeah, well, he, wrote some po- he wrote some poems as a young man, which were um, contained some anti-Semitic traces. And he, um, he definitely... Uh, stepped back from that although he he idealized the german uh culture and uh, a, a lot of that goes along with it well he settled there in 1974 and passed in germany in 1999 so Lived a long time. Lived, he, had, he had a long, very interesting life with a variety of recordings. Uh, now, there was an American television commercial that utilized some of his work that became very popular, did it not? Right, yes, that, uh, that cut, um, Bird's Lament. Uh, and when I was listening to the CD that comes with the record and uh, got to Bird's Lament, I said, I know this. I know this tune. What is this? Well, it's, um, it was uh, sampled and used for two, two different car commercials.
money in the bank for 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 Moondog. Well, I know Moondog has a, a daughter somewhere. Right? Yes, I believe he does have a daughter. And those commercials uh, brought him to the attention of, of people that did not know who this gentleman was and asked, "Where? What's that? What is that music? What? What is that music?" So he he was able to attain some uh, some mainstream exposure through the, through the medium of, of television without him performing on it. Uh, I don't believe that there are American clips of his performing. I believe that there are clips of his performing in Germany. So he didn't have any television exposure to speak of. No, I don't think so. No, such as Frank Zappa being given an opportunity to play the bicycle on the, <laughs> on the Steve <laughs> Allen Steve show. Allen show? Yeah. But there's another little link of, of, of the genius composer trying to find his way in this new landscape and medium, trying to get exposure. And uh, Steve Allen did give that exposure to Frank Zappa, who, of course, went on to become uh, an iconic figure in, in, uh, in our rock and roll culture. So Moondog did have this, uh, did have this glamorized vision of, of Germany, some of it with anti-Semitic intent. And having settled in Germany and having made me think of his uh, his strange instrumentation and his propensity for for some other strangeness within his music, it led me to think of an artist who was originally known as a chanteuse who performed with the band The Velvet Underground. And her name, of course, was... Nico. 